This on yet? Is this on yet? Test, 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 test. Is this on yet? I don't think so. There it is. Hey! Welcome to Butte Creek Baptist Church! You guys ready for Bible study tonight? Yay! Um, so, um, I know Pastor Steve's going to be praying right here in a minute. Everybody's, everybody's ready, pretty much ready for Bible study. Pastor Steve's going to be praying right here in a minute. So, uh, uh, I was just thinking about prayer requests. And um, so I wanted to just visit with you guys for a minute. Uh, so this Friday night is the Spaghetti Feed. And uh, Women's Fellowship folks have been working and working and working trying to get prepared for what's going to go on um, Friday night. And um, I've just got it on my heart that uh, Friday night is just a really important time for our church to really connect uh, and we're going to see some people that you know haven't been coming for a while and and there's a lot of people that have bought tickets that you know we haven't seen in a little bit and so this Wednesday night group is such a close-knit group and you guys are so faithful to pray and ask God to lead lead us in the right direction. But, um, you know, so I was just thinking that, you know, if we just put our best foot forward for Friday night to make sure people feel like that they're welcome and, and, and loved and all the things that nobody does like Butte Creek Baptist Church does. If we just put that on your prayer list between now and Friday night, so that we can just really have a great time of connection, you know, and, uh, and just a great time of just having fun together. I'd just uh, appreciate it if everybody would be praying for that because it's an opportunity for our church to really, really do well and, uh, and really connect with a lot of these folks that we've been missing for quite a while. Yeah, we should try to, uh, try to sit with somebody that, that you just haven't seen for a while. Right. I'm done. Anyway, thanks for hearing me out. But that's what's been on my heart all week, things I've been praying about. And I'm really praying about this Friday night coming up. It's going to be a lot of fun. It's one of the funnest things we do every year. It's a chance to interact and get to know people. So try to sit with somebody that you haven't met or sit around you know, a, a few people that, that maybe you haven't visited with in a while and things like that. And let's just use it as an, out, as an outreach tool. You know, because, uh, I mean, it's a great outreach tool. And uh, we just need to let people know that they're loved. Yeah, it would be fun if all these uh, tables are full, huh? They will be. Uh, according to what we're counting right now, uh, after church tonight, we're going to have to go get in the shed and add at least one
bring another. We can bring another table out too. Well, they're made. To, no, we don't have another table. Well, we've got those rectangular ones. Oh yeah, we do have those. But we've got ten tables set up, and they're set. They're they're. You know, you're supposed to be able to sit ten at them. Yeah, yeah. All right, thank you, John. Yes, perfect, thank you. So when we pray, absolutely. All right, that was a good meal, wasn't it? Man. Yeah. And we got some rain going, so that's good. Very good. Hopefully, some snow in the hills will come be coming. So, food privilege. Oh, good. All right. Well, let's pray, you guys. You ready? So, Father in heaven, we come before you, confessing to you that, Lord, we fall short of your glory every single day. But thank you so much for the fact that Jesus Christ lived and died for us, that he conquered death, and that he rose again, and he ever lives to make intercession for us now. Father, we ask you for wisdom, discretion, understanding, and knowledge as we study your word. We do pray for our country and for our leaders, Lord, that you would uh, place a strong conviction in the hearts of every single person living in this United States of America and around the world, Lord. That, Father, you would help us to be your witnesses and your lights. That, Father, we could be, we could just reach this community for you. And we do hold up this uh, Bible study that asks you to bless it and uh, give us information that we need to know. Father, we also want to pray, Lord God, for the believers around the world, for those that are uh, being persecuted for their faith, living in countries where they cannot worship you openly, living in and through some type of a disaster, your Christian people who are hungry and poor, who are discouraged and depressed, losing hope, Father, we just ask that you pour out your spirit on them and on us, Lord God, and convict us, Father, to seek your face for your Jewish people, Lord God, around the world and in the nation of Israel. We just pray that, Lord God, you pour out your Holy Spirit of conviction that Jesus Christ is their Savior as well as the Savior of the world. And, Father, we pray for the unbelievers in this world, for those searching for truth, Lord, your word says they will find it. And for those not searching for truth, Father, or suppressing truth, or changing truth, Lord, disguising it, Father, we pray that your divine righteousness and justice, your holiness and purity will, de purity will deal ever so thoroughly with those people, the terrorists, Lord, and all those who try to refute the gospel and the antichrist and anti-God, and anti-divine establishment people, Lord. Pour out your spirit on them, Lord, with great conviction. And Father, we promise to give you the praise and the glory. Uh, we're gonna take this couple of seconds here to lift up our own personal prayer requests to you, Lord. Father, thank you for every person here tonight, and we just do pray that you'll uh, continue to help us to grow. We pray that you'll bless Wayne and anyone that's sick. Dick is going in the hospital, so we pray that you'll work in his body, and uh, anyone else, Lord God, here that is in pain or, 
or just not feeling right, Lord, that you'd, you'd touch them with the power of your spirit. We promise to give you the praise and glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We are in 1 Corinthians, my friends. And as I like to do, yes, ma'am. You certainly can. Sharon? Oh, good. Okay. Yeah, okay, good. Good. So, the church of Corinth, they apparently wrote Paul a letter, which we do not have a record of, other than we know that they wrote Paul a letter because in his statement he says, according to the letter he wrote me. So he wrote them back, and at least one letter that we don't have a record of, and then we have a record of the two letters that he sent, 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians. And Paul had been at this church for 18 months, teaching and leading and guiding, and then by the time he wrote these letters, he had been absent from Corinth, the church at Corinth, for about five years. So from the time that Paul left, five years later, this church had a lot of problems. And you know, you hate to say it, but every church has problems. Every single church has problems because they have people in it. And people bring problems and, and it would be nice if we would learn from our mistakes and learn from uh, the problems that we encounter in, in our church. In 1 Corinthians, uh, the, the verse that gets me, and you can look in chapter 1, it says here in verse 10, we'll just go through it real quick. I like to do reviews because at that point you've got a pretty good overview of what we're talking about. But in verse 10 he says this. He says, I appeal to you brothers. So he's talking to Christians here in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So this is pretty serious. That all of you agree with one another so that there be no divisions among you and that you may be perfectly united in mind and thought. The one thing that God does not like is he does not like divisions. And unfortunately, that just happens in churches. Uh, people argue about Honestly, the silliest things, you know. We're going to leave these tables up for Sunday. Guarantee somebody will argue about it. Guarantee. So, yeah. In chapter 2, uh, he, he says this in verse um, 14. He's talking to about wisdom and about the unbelievers and about reaching them. And here he says in verse 12, we have not received the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand what God has freely given us. This is what we speak, not in words taught us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the spirit, expressing spiritual truths in spiritual words. The man without the spirit that would be the unbeliever, does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually discerned. 
The spiritual man makes judgments about all things, but he himself is not subject to any man's judgment. It says, for who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? That's a question, by the way. For who has known the mind of the Lord that we may instruct him? But in the next section, he says, but we have the mind of Christ. Yeah. So, you know, words are really important. All right. And, and I know that in my prayer every morning to the Lord, I pray that he will forgive me for my mental attitude, sins, sins of the tongue, and then, and then your overt sins. And so the one thing as Christians that we really want to do is we really want to watch our mouths. Okay? We really want to clean up our speech and make sure that there's nothing that we say that hopefully is offensive to people, you know. Remember something about the gospel. It's very, very simple. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, God come in the flesh, lived a perfect life. He died a horrific death for our sins. He rose again and conquered death. He ascended into heaven, and he makes intercession for us at the right hand of God. That's the gospel. And all you need to do, what does it say? Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Yeah. So when we witness to people, you know, don't get, uh, you know, segued into some other conversation that may not affect him. Now, in the world we live right now, some people are very interested in what the Bible says about our times. So, you know, it wouldn't be wrong to, sit, to start out with, well, you know, the Bible specifically predicts what is happening right now in many different scriptures, and uh, it's, it's just the prelude before the judgment that's coming. And the judgment not only is coming, but it's here. But when we look at the judgment that's coming out of uh, the tribulation period, boy, you, you don't want to be here for that, that's for sure. It's going to be terrible. So... In chapter 3, he says this, which is kind of embarrassing. In verse 1, he says, Brothers, I could not address you as spiritual, but as worldly. Mere infants in Christ, I gave you milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. Indeed, you still are not ready. You are still worldly. For since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Worldly? Are you not acting like mere men? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not mere men? So, yeah, I mean, we have had, we have seen in our church, we've seen gossip, we've seen slander, we've seen backbiting, and we've seen all those things, and none of us should be a part of that. And when we hear somebody that, that wants to talk about somebody else in a negative way, the best thing to do is say, hey, listen, you know, I, I wasn't there. I don't know what happened. I, uh, I, I really, I don't want to, you know, give my opinion on something I can't, you know, really know about. So in chapter 4, uh, a really neat scripture is, is uh, the second half of verse 5. 
he says this, he will bring to light what is hidden in darkness and will expose the motives of men's hearts. At that time, each will receive his praise from God. In chapter 5, we've got that situation with the immoral brother that's having a sexual relationship with his stepmother, his, his, his dad's wife. And the church was tolerant of that. And Paul says, uh-uh, no. You've you got to deal with it and you've got to deal with it quickly and you've got to deal with it severely. And uh, so, you know, Paul said, turn the guy over to Satan for the destruction of his flesh. Why? So that his soul can be saved on the end day. And the good news about that is that even though we're sinners saved by grace, you cannot lose your salvation because it's guaranteed by the blood of Jesus Christ. And he said on the cross, it is finished. So we don't go back and say, well, you know, it's unfinished right now. No, it's finished. It's, it's a done deal. So in chapter 6 then, we see the six do you not know. And what Paul was re referring here to is probably his 18 months that he spent teaching these people, and yet they had kind of abandoned the teaching that Paul had given them. In verse 2 he says, Do you not know that the saints will judge the world? In verse 3 he says, Do you know, not know we will judge angels? In verse 9 he says, Do you not know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God? In verse um, 15 he says, Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? We are members of Christ's body. Then in verse 16 he says, Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one who will become, is, let me see if I missed it, one with her in body? For it is said the two will become one flesh, but he who unites himself with the Lord is one with him in spirit. You know, the one thing that we need to consider, and we're going to see it tonight in chapter 9, if we get that far, which I think we will, is that. We need to understand the culture, okay, the culture that this was written to and written in. It's a different culture than what we have now, although sin is sin. Now, in this case, he, you know, I mean, there was temples to false gods, and one of those false gods was a god of sexuality. And they had actual temple prostitutes that it didn't make any difference whether you're a man or a woman or whether they were a man or a woman. You went up and, and, and did your thing with the temple prostitutes. And so he's, he's really big on this sexual immorality. In fact, he goes on in verse, six, uh, verse 18, chapter 6, flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a man commits are outside his body, but he who sins sexually against, sins against his own body. And our last do you not know here says, do you know, not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit which is in you, whom you have received from God? 
you are not, I wish more Christians would understand and believe the verse I'm about ready to re, read to you. He says, you are not your own. You were bought at a price, therefore honor God with your body. Well, then a natural segue, it would seem, is he talks about marriage. And he talks about marriage between believers, between unbelievers, between a believer and an unbeliever. And basically, Paul is pro-marriage, okay? He's not anti-marriage. But he says this. He says, if you can't live with your spouse and that spouse is an unbeliever and wants to leave, let them leave. Let them leave. You're not bound in those kind of circumstances. He also says uh, this, that, you know, you're a partnership. A marriage is a partnership, and it is to benefit both partners. So, you know, work at being, work at your partnership, okay? Because um, when you're not on the same page, it's, just absolutely not a lot of fun. Then we go to chapter, and that's chapter 7. Chapter 8 we read, food sacrifice to idols. And basically what Paul says in chapter 8 is he says, an idol is nothing. It's nothing. It's a piece of wood, piece of stone, piece of steel or something. It's nothing. It can't do anything for you. Therefore, food sacrifice to idols is nothing, Right? So he says, listen, if your conscience is clear, you can eat food that has been sacrificed to idols. But if you do it in front of somebody whose conscience is not cleared of that, he says, then don't do it because you'll cause that person to stumble, stumble whether they be a believer or unbeliever. You know, and I personally, you know, I would have, I, I would have a problem eating a, a meal that was sacrificed to idols. Now, we really don't do that anymore. Um, but, hey, you know, you never know. Yes? Well, I wonder, and I've been torn when you go into, like, Indian restaurants or, or where the Buddha's sitting right there. And right. And you pass by the Buddha to go and slide. I'm always like, ooh. Well, yeah. Think about all the evangelists that went out into these countries. And uh, they, I mean, the, the Buddhist statues in some of those countries was eight feet tall or ten feet tall, and they worshipped it, and, and that was their culture. and you're in there trying to, to talk to them about the Lord Jesus Christ. Man, talk about being uncomfortable. Uh, you know, many a, many a missionary lost their lives uh, uh, trying to reach the unreachable people. So, um, yeah, I know what you're thinking, but you know, sometimes you have to think, okay, Lord, I'm in here, I'm going in here to eat dinner. What do you have for me to do? Is there somebody I can talk to? Is there, is there some reason why I'm in here that you know, maybe I don't know about or whatever? So, Because there's always, if you'll ask God for the opportunity, he'll give it to you. He'll give you the opportunity for sure. Well, in chapter 
9, um, chapter 9 was very interesting. Uh, he goes on and talks about his freedom in Christ. You see, we're free in Christ. Uh, if I want to eat pork, I can eat pork. Uh, there's nothing that tells me I can't eat pork anymore. That was, that was a law thing. Um, you know, and this, is, this may sound weird, but if the Lord led me to go witness to somebody in a bar, I'd probably do it if the Lord was leading me, you know. Uh, probably wouldn't want to necessarily go in one just to go in one. But, uh, you know, you never know where God's going to lead you. And it could be really good. So in chapter 9, Paul says, you know, hey, look. In verse 7, he says, Who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard and does not eat of its grapes? Who tends a flock and does not drink of the milk? So in other words, he's saying this, is that a soldier or a farmer or a, uh, an, a person that raises animals, they participate in the benefits of their occupation. Okay? So what he is saying here is the pastor or the teacher or assistant pastor or whatever, someone who teaches the word is worthy of receiving his living from the word. Does that make sense? Okay. Um, and you know... It's a shame, too, because there are so many pastors and teachers that are so underpaid. And, it's, it, you know, they're, they're just, they just struggle a lot of times. And I will tell you another thing is there's a lot of pastors' wives that don't want to have anything to do with church after the pastor or their husband retires. Uh, because they've just been worked over so bad. So maybe it's good I'm single. I don't know. He says this. Um, let's look at verse uh, chapter 10. So chapter 10 is where we're going to start tonight, okay? Chapter 10 is where we're going to start. And I want to read um, from chapter 9, starting in verse 24. Paul is talking about the race. He says, it's another do you not know. So I'm in 9.24. Do you not know? And you know, you have to go back into Paul's mindset. It's like he's saying, did you forget? You know, do you not know? He's, I don't know if he's being a little sarcastic here, or, but we know that whatever he is doing, he's trying to put them in remembrance of something he's taught them. He says, do you not know that in a race... All the runners run, but only one gets the prize. Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last. In other words, one of those uh, leafy... Moral Yeah, that. Yeah. And it says, it says it's not going to last. He says this, he says, they do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it 
to get a crown that will last forever. There are, there are at least six or seven crowns mentioned in the Bible, and I'll bring you a study on them because they're, they're pretty neat. Um, one crown that I, I know I'm, pretty much know I'm gonna get is the one that says, if you're looking for the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, you'll get a certain crown. And I'll tell you, I can't wait for him to come back, to be honest with you. Now, he says this then, in verse 26, chapter 9, Therefore, I do not run like a man running aimlessly. That would be like somebody running on a treadmill. <laughs> okay? <laughs> you're just not going to get very far. It's good for you, but you're not going to get very far. He says this, I do not run like a man running aimlessly. I do not fight like a man beating the air. No, I beat my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. And so in other words, he's saying that because of the work that he does, he's going to receive a victor's crown. Are you with me on that? So he says, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna shirk my duties, etc. I'm gonna keep going until I win that crown. Look what chapter 10, starting at verse one says. Paul says, I do not want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers, that our forefathers, now he's speaking about the children of Israel that came out of Egypt, okay, they were led by Moses. He says that our forefathers were all under the cloud. That was the cloud that God put in front of them or in back of them, and that they all passed through the sea, the Red Sea. They were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and the sea. Well, that's weird unless you understand what baptism is. Baptism is identified. When you're baptized with, uh, with something, you're identified with something. In the case of water, baptism with water, you're identified with water, okay? You're also identified with, with new life, the new life that Christ gives you when you come up out of that water. Because when you went into the water, you were dry. When you came out of the water, you were wet. When you went into Christ, you were an unbeliever. When you, when you are in Christ, then now you're a believer for the rest of your life, okay? And there are actually, I believe, seven baptisms that I've counted in the Bible. There's the baptism of the Holy Spirit, which you get when you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Okay, that is not something that comes later. Why? Because what does baptism mean again? Identification. So when you come to Jesus Christ and you are born again, God baptizes you in the Holy Spirit. In other words, he identifies you with Christ. You are now a part of his body. You are now joint heirs with Christ. You are now an adopted son of God. Okay? So that's identification. And there's other, there's other baptisms in the Bible that we... There's the baptism by fire, and there's other baptisms that we can get into. Uh, we won't get into them tonight because I didn't really... Would that be something you were interested in? Okay. I'll, I'll bring it up for you. So then here... So when, they're bapt, when it says they're baptized into Moses... If we look at identification as our definition, 
they were identified with Moses, right? Moses led them out of Egypt. They crossed in, uh, into the Red Sea and across the Red Sea with Moses, okay? Moses led them everywhere up to the very borders of the, of the promised land and he couldn't go in there because he disobeyed God. Now, it says here in verse 2, they were all baptized into Moses. They were identified with Moses in the cloud and in the sea. They all ate the, spirit, the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them, and that rock was Christ. Now, do you remember back in 1 Corinthians? Ooh, let me see, was it 1 Corinthians? Hmm, maybe I am, must be in the Gospels. Where it is in the Gospels, it's in Matthew. Well, I'm not going to take the, the time to look it up because I could probably find it in a minute. But it was the where Peter was uh, with the disciples, and Jesus asked the disciples, "Who do people think I am?" Right? Remember that? And see, they said something. Some think you're John the Baptist. Some think you're Elijah. Some think you're this and that. And then Jesus says, but who do you think I am? And Peter answers up. Basically, I think he's answering for the disciples, but he's the spokesman here. He says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Well, what did Jesus say right after that? He says, upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Peter was not the rock, uh, in the, in the Greek, the word uh, Petros, which is Peter, means a small stone. The word Petra, which he uses in that scripture, means basically a mountain, okay? A big rock, really big rock. So here we have evidence in what we just read. Now listen to this and think about that scripture I just gave you. It says, and that rock was Christ. That's what Christ builds his church on. He builds it on his person, his work, the gospel, etc. And that's what our rock is on. Our rock is not on Peter because Peter, uh, like a human being, failed. I mean, he failed shortly after that when he, when he uh, denied Christ, yeah. So if you build your church on a person instead of God, and, and there are many people who do that, uh, you're building it on, on the weakest link in the chain, and uh, that, link, that link is going to break every time. In fact, you know what? We're not even a link in the chain. The father thought the plan up. The son executed the plan on the cross. And the Holy Spirit revealed the plan to us. What part did we have in that? None. Other than, do you want it or not? Yes, we want it. That's, that's all the work that we did in accepting Christ as our Savior. We agreed to be a part of that. So, Paul goes on here, and it's interesting. He says, 
They all drank the same spiritual, all ate the same spiritual food, and all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them. Remember, he told Moses the first time to strike the rock. That was representative, representative of Christ being struck on the cross. Then God says, speak to the rock and the water will come out. And that was designed to show that Jesus Christ was no longer being struck. He, he, he is to be spoken to, all right? Well, Peter didn't, or, uh, Moses didn't do that and he got in trouble for it. And that's the reason he didn't go into the promised land is because he struck the rock instead of uh, talking to it. Now, it says, nevertheless, verse five, God was not pleased with most of them. Their bodies were scattered over the desert. This verse six is, is very interesting. He says, now, these things occurred as examples to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things as they did. They complained about everything. They complained about the man. They complained that there was no water. They complained uh, that there was no meat. And God says, oh, I'll give you meat all right. In fact, it says in the Bible that I'll give you meat that's going to come out of your nose. Okay? He gave meat. And so, you know, we're not to complain as Christians. My daughter called me today and she has a gal that comes and helps her because she's so busy and helps her cook some meals, prepare some meals ahead of time. And this gal is a Christian and claims to be one and talks the Christianese and everything else. But she's very critical. She criticizes people. And when she's at my daughter's house, she brings up criticism of her daughter-in-law, who's married to her son. And I told my daughter today, I says, you can bet when she's at somebody else's house, she's bringing up criticism she has of you. Get rid of her. Yeah, get rid of her. Find somebody who's not, you know, a critical spirit is just a bad spirit. You know, and besides that, you know, the Bible says in, in our text in Corinthians, it says, who are you to judge your brother? Who are you to judge another man's servant? Judge yourself first, you know. Test yourself to see if you're in the faith. Because if you're critical, if you're backbiting, gossiping, slandering, which I think slandering, my personal opinion, is slander is character assassination, which to me is the equivalent of murder, okay? So when you're trying to murder someone's uh, uh, character, that's just wrong, you know? We just need to keep our mouth shut. And like I told my daughter today, the Lord never says we have to like another person, we just have to love them, okay? Now we go on, and this is real interesting here. He says this in verse uh, six, now, these things occurred as examples to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things as they did. Do not be idolaters as some of them were, as it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in pagan revelry. And this has got to be a reference to when Moses came down from the mountain and about halfway down, Joshua says, there's the sound of war in the camp. And Moses says, no, that ain't war. And when they got down there, 
the people were worshiping the golden calf that Aaron had built and Moses threw the Ten Commandments down the stones and they broke. And, you know, you just got to love Aaron. Moses says, Aaron, why did you do this? He says, you know, they just gave me their gold earrings and stuff and I threw them in the fire and out came this calf. <laughs> Really, Moses? Come on. You're better than that. You're bigger than that, okay? So, uh, <laughs> yeah. In verse 8, it says, We should not commit sexual immorality as some of them did, and in one day, 23,000 of them died. We should not test the Lord as some of them did and were killed by snakes. And do not grumble as some of them did and were killed by the destroying angel. Did you know that God has access to a destroying angel? It's an angel whose job is to destroy. Isn't that crazy? We go on, and I love this next couple of scriptures because this is something that should be underlined in your Bible. It says, these things happened to them as examples and were written down as warnings for us on whom the fulfillment of the ages has come. So, if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you do not fall. No temptation, now you notice he, he doesn't say testing here, no temptation has seized you except what is common to man. And God is faithful, he will not let you be tempted above or beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. The Greek word for tempted is the same exact word as tested. So you could here, you could insert tested here, and it would be accurate. God does the testing, but he doesn't do the tempting. It says in James, God tempts no man. We're, we're temptable by too many forces already. We certainly don't need God to tempt, tempt us to it. But God does test us, doesn't he? So let's read this as if we're going to translate this testing. So in verse 13, it says, No testing has seized you except what is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tested above what you can bear. But when you are tempted or tested... He will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. Jesus Christ said, I am the way. That's the way that God provides for us to stand up under testing and or temptation. Now, it's interesting he says here, so that you can stand up under it. And in Ephesians chapter 6 one of the last verses that Paul goes, goes and, and he writes, he says, therefore, stand. That's the final commandment, is we are to stand. And how do we stand? Well, first of all, recognize your enemy, okay? Your enemy is not what? Flesh and blood. Your enemy is very powerful spiritual forces in the heavenly realms. And I will tell you, I, I said this few years back, if we could color the spiritual realm that you can't see, 
And let's say we would color the, the uh, God's angels, the, 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 the obedient angels white and the disobedient angels black or purple or something like that. It would blow our minds and probably cause us to have a heart attack because they're all around. They're all around us. And they're watching us, and they're watching you and me, and they're, they're seeing, where is the weakness so we can exploit it? Where's the weakness? Now, he goes on, and that's a great scripture. He goes on now, and he's going to talk about the Lord's Supper because obviously these people were having some problems. They were having problems with lawsuits. They were having problems with disputes. They were having problems with this, and they were having problems with that. You'd say that you think this was first... Butte Creekians. <laughs> written, to the, written to us, huh? He says in verse 14, he says, Therefore, my dear friends, flee from idolatry. Now, if you were going to pick out some things in our culture or in the world that would qualify as idolatry, what would you pick out? Money? Definitely money. Yeah. I would say fame. Yeah. Huh? The chasing of knowledge. You know what? Science has become a religion now. Science has become a religion. And the, the interesting thing is that science really verifies the truth of the Bible. Connie? Oh, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Um, so, you know, I would say another thing of idolatry, especially in our country, would be pleasure. Okay, pleasure. I see so many people taking their boats to the lake on Sundays when I'm turning off of 2.34 to come to church. You know, this is 9 o'clock in the morning. And, and I'm thinking, you know, why not just take your boat to church already? Get out at 12 o'clock or 12, 10 after 12. You've got your lunch packed in your truck. And go on up to the lake and have a great... You, you feed your soul and you feed your body and, and you get to relax a little bit too. But everybody will be answer, answering what they did, won't they? He says this, Therefore, my dear friends, flee from idolatry. I speak to sensible people. Judge for yourselves what I say. Is not the cup of thanksgiving for which we give thanks a participation in the blood of Christ? And the answer is yes. These are rhetorical questions. And is not the bread that we break a particip participation in the body of Christ? Yes, it is. Because there is one loaf, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one loaf. Consider the people of Israel. Do not those who eat the sacrifices, speaking of the priests, participate in the altar? So the priests and anybody that was working uh, on the altar in the temple, they, they, they participated in the offerings that were given to the temple, i.e. lambs and bulls. And, you know, they, uh, what does the Bible say in, in the Old Testament? It says, save the choice pieces for the priests, you know, because they're doing their, their job. He says this in verse 19. 
Do I mean then that a sacrifice offered to an idol is anything? Or that an idol is anything? Question mark. No. But the sacrifice of pagans are offered to demons, not to God. And I do not want you to be participants with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons too. You cannot have a part in both the Lord's table and the table of demons. Are we trying to arouse the Lord's jealousy? Are we stronger than he? I always say this, that if you ride the fence, you're going to get a sore butt. Okay? That's what's going to happen. And we don't ride the fence. We don't have one foot in the world and then one foot in the Christian faith. We have both feet in the Christian faith, although we are in the world, we're not of the world. Okay? That's, and that's really important. Okay. Now, in verse 23 now, Paul continues on about the believer's freedom. And, and some people take this as a license to sin, but it's not. Everything is permissible, but not everything is beneficial. Everything is per permissible, but not everything is constructive. Nobody should seek his own good, but the good of others. So he gives us some examples here. He says, eat anything sold in the meat market without raising questions of conscience. Why? For the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. If some unbeliever invites you to a meal and you want to go, eat whatever is put before you without raising questions of conscience. But if anyone says to you, this has been offered in sacrifice, then do not eat it, both for the sake of the man who told you and for conscience sake. The other man's conscience, I mean, not yours. Because what does Paul say? He says, what is an idol? It's nothing. What is food that's offered to idols? Nothing. It has no merit or value whatsoever. So you can eat it and still have a good conscience. But if it ruins or affects the conscience of anyone in the periphery, then don't eat it. Okay? And so he says this in verse well, the end of verse 29. For why should my freedom be judged by another man's conscience? If I take part in the meal with thank thankfulness, why am I denounced because of something I thank God for? So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Do not cause anyone to stumble, whether Jews, Greeks, or the church of God, even as I try to please everybody in every way, for I am not seeking my own good, but the good of many, so that they may be saved. The next verse, or the next statement in verse uh, 11 is, uh, I mean, Paul could write this. I would probably have trouble writing this for myself. He says, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Now that should be our mantra, huh? Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Uh, and, and a lot of times what I'll do is if I come to a situation where I am uh, not sure of what to do, 
I just ask myself, if Jesus was here, what would he do? What would he want me to do? Bill? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, when Well, in in another section of scriptures he says imitate me. So Paul was amazing. I mean, this guy was I can't wait to meet him. And uh, I'm sure he has a quite a sense of humor, etc. Well, we've got some time left. Let's go to chapter 11 because now we're going to talk about propriety in worship and the Lord's Supper. You know, does it, does it help you for me to read this slow and for us to soak, let this soak in? Because, you know, a lot of times we'll read the scriptures and we'll just read right over something and not think about it. And, and this way, doing it together, we're thinking about it. So in chapter 11, he says, follow my example of as I followed the example of Christ. I praise you for remembering me in everything and for holding to the teachings just as I passed them on to you. Now I want you to realize that the head of every man is Christ and the head of the woman is man and the head of Christ is God. Every man who prays or prophesies with his head covered dishonors his head. And every woman who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head. It is just as though her head were shaved. If a woman does not cover her head, she should have her hair cut off. And if it, and if it is, yes. No, 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 listen, listen. I, I'm getting to it. I just got to finish the context. I got to finish the context here. It says here, Oh boy, I can see rebellion brewing. <laughs> it says in verse 7, A man ought not to cover his head since he is the image and glory of God, but the woman is the glory of man. For man did not come from woman, but woman from man. Neither was man created for woman, but woman for man. For this reason, and because of the angels... The woman ought to have a sign of authority on her head. Let's just keep going until we finish this. In the Lord, however, woman is not independent of man, nor is man independent of woman. For as woman came from man, so also man is born of woman. But everything comes from God. Judge for yourself. Is it proper for a woman to pray to God with her hair uncovered? Does not the very nature of things teach you that if a man has long hair, it is a disgrace to him. But if that, but that if a woman has long hair, it is her glory. That's a question. Now that's not a statement. For long hair is given to her as a covering. If anyone wants to be contentious about this, we have no other practice, nor does the churches of God. So again, now we go back into the into the culture. What was the culture here, okay? Well, temple prostitutes, many of them shaved their head. And anyone that was an, found to be an adulteress had to shave her head. So this, to me, 
is a cultural thing that applies to Paul's times and times like his time. Paul is not certainly not saying that a woman is inferior to a man because she's not. In many ways, women are smarter than men and, you know, yet women do not, I mean, women do not possess the same physical strength normally as a man does. So, you know, that's why God created the woman out of the man so that she could comp complement him, right, and that he could take care of her. Now, the thing about the long hair, um, you know, people of all generations, some have had long hair. And, you know, if you go back to what Paul was saying with this other stuff, is it really a big deal? In his culture, it was. In our culture, it isn't. It just really isn't in our culture. Now, where do you draw the line? How long of hair on a man is too long? Yes, sir. About what? Because he's, he's talking about the nature of things. He says, um, uh, a woman has, this is, does not uh, nature itself teach us that a man uh, have long hair? It, it's a shame of him. In other words, uh, there is another scripture somewhere that says uh, that it's the glory of a man is his fault. And as you get older, you become bald. And it's, it's kind of a symbol of wisdom. Well, and, and, and God gave women hair and men hair. When you think about, I'm going to reverse my question now, how short is short hair on a woman? This is really all about culture. And the last verse that we read says this, if anyone wants to be contentious, in other words, if anybody wants to be a legalist, about this, we have no other practice, nor do the churches of God. You know, this is, this is, when a woman has longer hair and a man has normal length or shorter hair, we can tell, generally speaking, the fact that that one's a man and that one's a woman. Now today, it's hard. I see people walking down the street and I can't, some of them I can't tell whether they're women or men. I, you know, I pray for every single person that I see walking, okay? When, I, when I'm driving, I'll say, Lord, please let, let that, help that man to find you or help that woman. And uh, so today it's weird. And it is a satanic thing for the sexes to be blended, okay? It is a satanic thing. They are to be separate in their looks and in their actions. You know, women generally speaking, have a tendency to be uh, more compassionate than men. Men look at things in black and white. Women look at things in all shades of gray and etc. cetera. Uh, so, you know, go ahead. So, as Christians, what do you 
God, God does not look on the outward appearance. He looks on the inward. Yes. Absolutely. That's, that's the verse. That's yeah. The it, that's the key. Yeah, that's, that's the key there. It's that, not about hair. It's not about hair. Aren't you glad about that, John? <laughs> that's right. Yes. The angel. The that's, angel. Yeah, that's an interesting reference. So, going back to my statement that if we could color the righteous angels white and the fallen angels black there would definitely be some angels around us and potentially in this room and the angels are looking into this thing called grace and they want to know what you know because here we are we are a fallen race and yet God found a way to accept us into his family, no less. So to sum it up, um, I would say this, that culturally, this, would, uh, this chapter 11 really does um, apply culturally for sure. And yet at the same time, it's not about long hair, and it's not about this, it's about really what it's about is it's about submission, okay? God is the head. Christ submitted himself to God. He, it says in Philippians chapter 2 that he became obedient even unto being a slave unto death. So, you know, each man and each woman have a place that God has for them. And it's, I think it's bad when a woman usurps certain authority away from a man and a man treats his woman as if she were an idiot, okay? You're to work together. It's, it's, a, it's a formula, it's a partnership. And what one can't do, the other can do. When I marry people, I tell them this, I say, marriage is not 50-50. Marriage is 100-100. And if one person in the marriage can only give 75% that day, then the other person has better buck up and give 125%. Because that's what it takes. It's 100% for both people to make it successful. And, um, you know, as you well know, there's a lot of people who won't, go that route. All right, any other questions? Did that kind of settle it for you? Yeah, I just, that's how I was raised. So right. In here, you know. Well, and, and, you know, I mean, there are Christian people who say women should wear pants. They, they should always wear a dress. Well, I tell you, you know, cutting firewood in a dress is probably not very much fun. Um, <laughs> 
Another thing that they say is that, you know, you shouldn't listen to certain types of music. Some say no music at all. Um, you know, these are all... Uh, burdensome. They're burdensome, they're legalistic, they, they mean nothing, they're all designed for the flesh, and they are, they are really an attack on the believer's freedom is what they are. Yes? You can make sin out of anything. There's, there's you know, no dancing. Well, right. Dancing isn't sinful unless you conduct yourself in such a manner that it is. Right, like twerking. <laughs> For those of you that don't know what twerking is, I'm not going to explain it. Yeah, that's, that's an example. All right. <laughs> Let, let's go ahead and finish chapter 11 because we've, we've got about that much time, okay? <laughs> it's gone now. All right. Are, are you guys ready to study the rest of chapter 11? Yes. What do you think? Yes. I, I knew that somebody was going to ask. That is when women get in front of a bit of... Do men do it too? And they basically, if it was a side view, they stick their rear out and then wiggle it in all kinds of different positions like for perhaps we're having sex or whatever. Very suggestive. And my son... Uh, owns four restaurants in Chicago and the one that he owns right by Wrigley Field um, they, he had a number of people from the south side of Chicago which is a very rough, rough area of Chicago come and twerk in front of his restaurant and so you know what he did he ended up uh, because they like the music he, he plays good music and he ended up changing the music to Barry Manilow and those, those types. And he lost them all. They're all, they all left. <laughs> so there's, there's more than one way to skin that cat, isn't there? <laughs> well, let's finish up here. If we need to go back and explain, we can go next week. So here we go. Uh, <laughs> 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 17. In the following directives, okay, so... Paul is going to give them some directions. I have no praise for you, for your meetings do more harm than good. He says, in the first place, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you. And to some extent, I believe it. No doubt, there have to be differences among you to show which of you have God's approval. When you come together, it is not the Lord's supper you eat, for as you eat, each of you goes on ahead without waiting for anybody else. One remains hungry, another gets drunk. Don't you have homes to eat and drink in? Or do you, do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you for this? Certainly not. So apparently what was happening here is when the church would come together and have communion, they might have a dinner before their communion, etc., maybe, and some people would just use that communion dinner as their dinner. They wouldn't wait for anybody else, 
and, uh, and, and, and they would get drunk. Can you imagine that in a church? I mean, some guy walks through the church, doesn't know this church, and everybody's, howdy. <laughs> like, oh, this is really a friendly church. Paul goes on in verse 23, and we're almost done. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. So this is in the upper room. When he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remember, remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So this is like a living sermon. And when we have communion and we take the bread, I always like to reflect on the life of Jesus, okay? Because, you know, people don't... I don't think people as a whole realize how hard those 33 years were of not committing one sin and all the despicable treatment that he took, even from his own family. Let's go get him. He's out of his mind. Wow. So, he says this in verse 27. He says, Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. A man ought to examine himself before he eats of the bread and drinks of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without recognizing the body of the Lord eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many among you are weak and sick, and a number of you have fallen asleep or, or died. But if we judged ourselves, we would not come under judgment. When we are judged by the Lord, we are being disciplined so that we will not be condemned with the world. So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for each other. If anyone is hungry, he should eat at home, so that when you meet together, it may not result in judgment. And when I come, I will give you further directions. It's interesting because it hasn't been lately, but in the past when we had our Wednesday night potluck dinner, and somebody would bring deviled eggs, maybe, maybe a dozen, uh, well, that would actually be six eggs, or a dozen, or whatever, and I always am at the back of the line, always. And, and then I see somebody taking two deviled eggs, <laughs> so that when I get there, there won't be any. That is rude. Very rude behavior. And I don't think they do it so that when you get there, you'll have last, They do it because it's good. Oh, sure. But last, it wasn't last year, probably, probably a couple, two, three years ago. I don't remember if it was Lenora that made up a sign. It might have been Marilyn. I don't remember. But we, we had a sign that said, please um, recognize the people behind you that, and, you know, leave some stuff for them. Right? So. You know what I was thinking about this, though? Because didn't the Catholic religion, I don't know if they still do, but at one time, you did not eat before 
church to have communion, how you know, I don't remember that. Um, I was a Catholic. I was a Catholic for many years, um, but I, I don't. I don't remember that. If that's the case, I wouldn't be a very good Catholic because I get hungry. And if. If any of you makes deviled eggs, make a dozen eggs, which will make 24 halves, okay? Because usually that'll, at least for Wednesday nights right now, that'll get, get through us, so, yeah. Sure. Well, we don't have any instructions for the Lord's Supper to use leavened bread or unleavened bread or, you know, whatever. Um, I, I don't know. I haven't... Those little wafers that we have, they're probably unleavened, I'm guessing. Or well, good thing you have unleavened bread for Passover. Yes. Yeah. I would say in most churches, probably you'd want to use unleavened bread. If you're doing communion at home, you know, take out a, a, a piece of bread and, you know, or whatever. Um, there you go. And, and you, you know, again, the Lord doesn't look on the outward, does he? He looks on the inward. And what he looks at is you are, you are fulfilling the words of Christ in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 by remembering him. And each time we do communion, we try to remember his life, we try to remember his death. John? One thing about communion, and, and if we're uh, in Corinthians uh, here and we're studying this, I think we need to realize and remember is that uh, communion is an, is an outward uh, example of what should be an inward thought process and uh, and where you need to be in your inward self. And I think a lot of times if we do communion often, we overlook that, you know, there's specific rules that we should have our heart correct when we partake of the Lord's Supper and that we should... Uh, try everything we can in our heart to be uh, in communion also with our brothers and sisters in a way that you 
strong because they're going so many different directions. Mm -hmm. And so when we take communion, that's the part of communion that I always think of is not to harbor a grudge or a hard feeling toward a brother or sister in Christ and always try to put that aside before I take communion. I think it should be a, a time of self-examination. And, but I don't think it should be a, you know, some people, some churches, you know, they're, they're so somber that, uh, you know, if you don't have a somber face while you take the communion, you know. And it really is a celebration. It's a celebration of Christ's life. It's a celebration that he died for us. Huh? And, and thankfulness, it should be peppered with thankfulness because... Yeah. It wasn't a celebration of the resurrection. That's Easter. That's coming to church on Sunday. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, communion is awesome and, and I think that's I think that's uh, proper that we examine ourselves and, and just talk to the Lord about our relationship with him, you know, and anything we want to talk about him, he'll he'll get back to us on too. Well let's pray. So Father in heaven, thank you for this beautiful word and in Corinthians. Thank you, Lord God, for the advice that the Apostle Paul brings out. Uh, Lord, we do pray that you will uh, work in every person that's married, every person that's single, Lord, that you would bless them. And Father, we pray that you'll bless this country, uh, bless this coming Sunday service, Lord, and bless all of the churches that are speaking your word by means of your spirit. And we'll give you the praise and glory in Jesus' name, amen. amen. Okay, so the next time we're gonna meet is Friday. Friday. Yep, this Friday at six o'clock.